It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Master Plan World. Great to have you all listening. And I'm really pleased to be bringing you another Takeaways episode. And this one is, I would say, it can probably be described as hot off the press, or at least a podcast recorded during action, maybe. Um, as I wrote this one today on the train coming up to Grantham, where I'm speaking at a, uh, a conference on behalf of uh, Chaos Control. And I'm recording it in my hotel room. So if I sound a bit weird and echoey, and I feel like I'm trying to whisper as well. So, um, so yeah, we'll see how this one goes. But but it, this was the only way I could manage to get it done this week and out to you. Um, so you could all benefit from it as quickly as possible. Otherwise, it was going to be like a couple of weeks. So we had to do it this way. So bear with any audio issues we find in this one. But it, hopefully it won't be too bad. So, yeah, we've got another Takeaways episode, our second in two weeks. Um, this year, uh, the sister conferences of e-delivery and internet retailing conferences were held on the same day and this all happened last week in central London so rather than being two days they were combined into one and I didn't make it to any of the e-delivery content so if you're hoping for updates on that I'm afraid I can't give you any Um, but I have some great updates from IRC from the internet retailing conference this year again I was invited to chair thank you very much to those who organised the conference it's always a pleasure And I got to host both the Top 500 Knowledge Panel in the morning and the Analyze and Conquer stream for the rest of the day. So that was kind of super cool. The biggest topic of the day, I thought, was emotion. How do we get more emotion into e-commerce? So I've got a fair bit on that. And I've also got updates on the status of the industry. Just a quick one on that one. Um, Also a focus on learning from the customer, where we're going to be hearing updates that I heard from Daniel Infanga of Conrad Electronics from Germany, Anna Bantz, who's the founder of Girl Meets Dress, and Giles Delafeld, who comes from Clark's, yes, the shoe shop. Um, we had quite a discussion about millennials, so I'll bring you the tech key bits from that shortly. Then I'm going to go into all the emotional content. So we've got kind of some key points from that top 500 knowledge panel I was chairing in the morning. I've then got updates from Kieran Smith, who's the digital director of Blackwells, Klarna's emotional e-commerce research results. There's a report there that you're just going to want to download and get your hands on. And about taking emotion to the next level, a fascinating session, uh, which I'll tell you more about later. So there was a lot of great content this year yet again. So I'm going to try and edit it down to key points rather than just repeating the whole day for you. So hopefully I will succeed in doing that as I record in this slightly echoey hotel room. So before we dive in, you can get the whole script for the show. Think of it as a ridiculously long blog post at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash one, two, three, dash five. I am pretty convinced there's going to be quite a lot of typos in this as I'm rushing it. Uh, There'll be a couple of pictures and a fair few links as well. Okay, so the state of the industry. As always, Ian Jindal's opening remarks provided some great insight into what's going on in our industry. Currently, that can be summed up as the battle for margin. And I'm talking big picture margin as the marketing spend seems to be taking up an ever greater percentage of turnover. And that ain't good for anyone. It seems as though the UK e-commerce land grab is over. We've gone hell for leather to attract every bit of new customer business we can. And now we've got to start getting smart about it. 
This is a trend that I believe began two years ago when we all started talking about the customer and getting smarter with our spend is just the next stage. Have a listen to the last two years of takeaways from the conference I've done for more on exactly that topic. That's both about what we spend on and what messages we put out there. We've got to get smarter with both of those, which is why I was so pleased emotion was such an important discussion across the day because emotion is one of those parts which can really help you improve the performance of all your marketing. Okay, so let's start talking about that customer focus that people were updating us on. I said to start off with Daniel Infanga of Comrade Electronics. Um, now, Daniel's session was about how the German international electronics retailer Comrade have approached consolidating business across their systems and teams to identify and better serve their customer segment. So really a how they've gone through the process of not just paying lip service to the phrase being more customer focused, basically. Um, if you're not familiar with Comrade Electronics, and don't worry, I wasn't either, they turn over 1.3 billion euros a year have 5,000 employees, 17 million customers split pretty much equally between their B2B business and their B2C business, and they ship 10 million parcels per year. Uh, Now, 31% of their business is store-based, 46% online, and the rest, uh, now, Daniel only described as other. So sorry about that, but they do send a catalogue, so I'm guessing that's partly where that comes from. Now, to set the story of where they were up to 2016 and disjointed activity, he shared a really cool slide of circles and arrows. I just thought this was a really nice approach to building a dashboard of performance to very quickly get messages across to the team about where you're doing well and where you're not doing well. Um, An image of that is in the show notes. And basically, it was a circle representing each key metric, so AOV, print response, new customers, etc. And under each of those circles was an arrow showing whether it was improving or getting worse and how fast. So a fairly flat arrow, not improving very much, a really steep arrow, improving really fast. I thought that was a super handy way of making it really clear about how business is doing. So maybe one for your quarterly reviews and you can see that at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash one, two, three, dash five. He then went on to explain the two big ideas to how they brought about the change in the business. And that change is still underway. So there were no kind of major, amazing um, stats from this, but I thought this would just be useful for those of you who are trying to go through this process just to see partly how complex it is, but also um, to see it's possible and it's doable and to get some ideas about how to go about doing it. So the first of those two was identifying their customer groups and they got really into this, like incredibly into this, conducting interviews, focus groups, motive research, affinity testing, all kinds of different things, ending up with 18 different variables for their different customer groups. They then mapped in lots of detail about the possible customer journeys of each of the identified customer segments. It was crazy how much detail they put into that. So just if you're going to start doing the customer journey mapping, just be aware that there's a lot of detail goes into it. All the different points someone could interact with your business and then making sure that that works for that type of customer. The second thing they really worked on was getting the systems right, because this, it seems to me, from what he was saying, is kind of the starting point of getting the team on board. If they've got systems that enable them to do what you want them to do, then it becomes a lot easier to convince them to work as one team rather than separate teams for different countries, for different channels and so forth. So getting the systems right was essential, not least because their existing systems just weren't cutting it. They had different images on sites for different countries everyone using their own software choices. So bringing the whole of that in has in line has been a huge project and they're doing it across systems, across marketing, across asset control, everything. So I guess the, the lesson here, I suppose, is 
if you're a big complex organization and thinking of going down this route, do not underestimate how much work it's going to be and get organized from the start. But if you're a smaller business, just don't let your business creep into these danger zones. You know, make sure you've got consistent organized systems right from the beginning. You know, don't let everybody buy their own software options. Make sure the ones that work are the ones that are being worked used across the whole business and make sure, you know, files aren't living on one person's laptop. It's a bit of a cultural thing. It's also, you know, just about taking some control right from day one about what systems you're going to be using. Okay, building on the customer piece, we have the marvellous Anna Bantz, who's the founder of Girl Meets Dress. And I was super, I, I loved her session because she was talking about inaction, something I talk about a lot, which is basing the decisions you make in your business on what the customer's telling you. That constant loop of feedback to see where the customer's having problems, fix it, see where the opportunity is that the customer's telling you about and make something of it. So, and I'm hoping, just so you know, to get her on the podcast to talk us through this in more detail next year. So keep your fingers crossed, all of you, for that. Because again and again, she demonstrated how starting simply and then building what the customer needed has enabled her to build her business successfully. One of my personal mantras is no assumptions. And she certainly used this as a way to avoid making assumptions about what the customer wanted and actually build what the customer did want. For those of you not familiar with Girl Meets Dress, they are a dress hire company that operates online only, serving women from the age of 16 who are going to their first prom right up to ladies in the 90s looking for something to wear to a family wedding. It's a pretty diverse customer base. The range of customers is super diverse and their biggest time of year is Royal Ascot, just to give you some flavour of what they're up to. So here's some of the ways that Anna's had to unpredictably build the business based on that customer feedback. So customers wanted to buy the dress. Even if they rented it five or six times, they then wanted to buy it. So they had to build that option into their systems. They originally started off thinking they were building a retail company, but it turns out they were building a booking system. Um, Lots of customers wanted an advanced try-on facility. So the product actually gets delivered to the customer twice and returned to them twice. So you get it once to try it on, make sure it's right. Then you confirm your booking. Then you get it for the event you want to wear it to insurance was something lots of customers wanted just in case they ripped it damaged it etc dealing with the nerves of will it be here in time especially for those um, who you know don't live in the big cities has been a big issue so they ended up offering a 10 pound have it for seven days upgrade for any dress so you can pay 10 pounds and then the customer gets the dress for a full seven days so they've got it the day before it doesn't arrive on the morning of the big big event for example They've also gone had to create advice guides because they came across a lot of customers who'd never worn a dress before and had no idea where to start. And they opened a showroom because customers really wanted to come in and browse and have a look at the dresses, try them on to make their decision over what they were going to wear. Interestingly, for that showroom, they actually offer free Uber rides to get customers to the showroom to make it as easy as possible for those who want to do it. So the listen to adapt, listen to the customer and adapt message was huge in this session. She also admitted she'd not realised the power of a magazine article. Um, the passing of trust in the magazine onto the trust in Girl Meets Dress has been huge for them. So that's why PR can be so powerful. The third and final piece I wanted to bring you about the customer before we really get into the world of emotion and trust and so forth is 
the little discussion, or not the little discussion, the Q&A discussion that Giles Delafeld of Clark's and I had about millennials. Now, it was really good to catch up with Giles because we worked together many years ago on the Alexon brands online offering. That's Calico and Harvey and a few other brands and putting them online for the first time, growing them and then trying to get it all working with the concessions business. Oh, anyway, the world of fashion retail, a challenging place at all times. Now, we got to do a really nice Q&A session about millennials and adapting to those new customer types. We had quite a discussion about millennials and their needs and came to the conclusion that whilst millennials, Gen X, baby boomer, etc. are all great phrases to use to get the conversation about customer segments started, no one should go back to their business and say, we need a millennial strategy. That's because there's such variety within each group. Millennials is from 1980 to 1995. Those of us born in 1980 didn't get our first mobile phones until we were 18. We were at uni before the digital camera, thank God, and Facebook didn't exist until after we left. That's hugely different to those born 15 years later. Hugely different. And also, you should be basing your strategy on what your customer base is already telling you. So you need to identify which customer segments are important for your business. Look at who's already buying from you and visiting you. Identify the key core customer who's responsible for your revenue. Don't do anything that's going to discourage them from buying at all because they are your bread and butter. Then take a look at the next biggest, the growing, usually the younger groups. What can you do to keep them happy, to keep them buying? Okay, let's get on to talking about emotion, the really big, important topic that was kind of seeping through the whole conference from my point of view. I'm going to start off with with the panel I hosted, the top 500 retailer panel. Um, I was hosting the panel, so I couldn't take notes. So I'm just going to give you like the bullet point highlights from what I can remember. Okay, so hopefully I'll get the big the big points across here for you. On the panel were myself. Uh, also, Sean McKee, who's the director of e-commerce at Shoe, Philip Driver, the head of e-commerce EMEA at Canon Europe, and Simon Bell, who's the founder of Diligent Commerce, a Magento agency focused on the power of emotion. We had a wide ranging discussion about what part emotion should play in e-commerce, from which these key points came out. Okay, so first off, in e-commerce, we can get far too focused on the numbers and forget our customers are humans. Now, that's important because emotion is one of the most powerful ways to get a human to do anything at all. And in retail, as Daniel Kahneman, who's the godfather of behavioural commerce, said, if you make them feel more, they'll buy more. So there are long term big picture emotions and short term emotional nudges, both of which we can take advantage of. The big picture is about making sure the customer leaves an interaction with your brand feeling what you want them to, be it excitement, desire, glamour, whatever it may be, that they leave with a stronger long term connection to your business. The short term is about emotional tactics such as scarcity, urgency, social proof, so building trust, pointing out there's not many left in stock playing on urgency of, you know, only half an hour left to order for next day delivery. All businesses should be using the nudges, but using them ethically. Otherwise, it just comes back to bite you. How much you invest in terms of time and money on the big picture emotion depends on a lot of things, but all of us should be doing those nudges. So the big picture depends on how strong your brand needs to be. It's more important for Canon to build and that emotional part into their online presence than for shoe because shoe are a reseller of brands that people already have a connection to how luxury your brand is you know if you're gucci it's going to be a different approach to if you're primark possibly 
um, your price point, the product type that you're selling. If you're selling, um, you know, replacement vacuum bags, that's a very different scenario to if you're selling holidays when it comes to how much emotion you want the customer to feel and what emotion you want them to feel. So we agreed um, as a panel that the best place to start is by getting those nudges in place, the scarcity, the urgency, the social proof and the trust. And then the next obvious thing is to make sure your homepage clearly shows the emotion you want to be getting across, but also your about us page really gives people that human connection to your business. We're going to build on that panel takeaways with these following session updates about emotions. So the first, the next one of those in terms of the, the order of the day was Kieran Smith, who's the digital director of Blackwells. And I thought Kieran's session was super interesting. At Blackwells, they made the smart decision to ignore their huge competitor, Amazon. And rather than concentrate on what can we do to be Amazon, they're focusing on what they do well. Such a good strategy when you've got such a huge other person selling similar products to you. What can you do differently? What can you do that makes you perfect or makes you of interest to the customer? For Blackwells, it's all about how well their booksellers, that's the store staff, know the product and how passionate they are about it. So you'll now see their individual booksellers all over the website, on the product page, category pages, product pages, home pages, they're everywhere. They've been working on improving this and giving more of their booksellers the ability to make updates to the website for a few years now. They've now got to the point that the emotional connection to the real people in their stores is such that in geographic areas where the stores are, sales across all channels are growing. So rather than channels cannibalising each other, they've become greater than the sum of their individual parts. Now that's huge in retail because that doesn't usually happen. And it's that human connection that emotional connection they're putting through, which is pushing that sales growth. Now, I said earlier there was going to be a report you're all going to want to go and download. Now, that is what I'm going to talk about next. We had Laurel Wolf, who's the marketing director at Klarna. They're a payments processing company. And she spent her session taking us through some research they commissioned from Reading University about emotional commerce, the ups and downs of the online experience. It's great. I managed to grab a paper copy of them, but you can download the um, the PDF version via the link that I put in the show notes. So if you go to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash one, two, three, dash five, you will find that link. It's a really easy to read report and it's packed with great insight, mainly focused on the quick win nudges side of emotional commerce. So here's the key takeaways I took from Laurel's session. I was going to do key takeaways from the report as well, but I ended up pretty much typing out the entire report again. So I figured much better for you guys to go and get the PDF. OK, so why do people cancel a transaction? As Klarna are interested in payments, that was clearly going to be something they're going to ask for in the research. But it's a really interesting set of results because shipping, delivery is not in first place. It's in second place. So 33% of people cancel a transaction because they had to register for an account. 33%. So all of you who don't have a guest checkout, sort it out. You need one. You cannot make people register. They are leaving your site in droves because you're making them register. Okay, next at 27% was high shipping costs, but also slow checkout processing, tying with it there. 25% blamed fees for alternative payment methods. 23% lack of trust in the site security and a small 15% concerns over entering their personal details. So security is no longer up there either. Delivery is no longer number one. It's now about ease of the process. 
And then um, she also gives some hints and tips on millennials. So millennials like to browse and 40% of them spontaneously buy when they feel they deserve a treat. Now, if you want to take advantage of that spontaneous purchase decision, then your checkout's got to be quick and easy because nothing kills spontaneity more than a whole load of process to get through. Pay later is also growing in popularity. And that literally means you make the buy decision, you commit to the purchase, but you're going to enter your payment details later when you've got more time to do so. An interesting new um, scenario, not a payment scenario I had heard of prior to the conference. So that's an interesting one. And then to win the order, you need to show both the logical and emotional side of the purchase. We're going to have a bit more of that coming up shortly um, in another one of our session updates. But that I thought was an interesting thing. So we so don't throw the logical baby out with the emotional bathwater, I suppose. I'm probably mixing my metaphors there, but I, hopefully you know what I mean. So you can't go pure emotion and forget the logical, you know, how big is this um, settee? You can't leave the logical out, but you have to also play on the emotional. Uh, time is frequently seen as a cost um, of the casual buyer. So you should keep things quick and reward customers for spending the time on the task. So you need to make sure that it's quick because a faster process is going to make someone much more likely to come back and order from you again. So that speed of transaction makes them like you more. So speed is good. Now, I highly recommend downloading that report and you can get that via ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 123-5 where you'll see a link to it. Okay, the last session I'm going to take you through was really fascinating. This really does take emotion to the next level. And this was about using sentiment analysis for placing your advertising. The session was by Cliff Crosby of MRays, um, who I've just, when I wrote this script, I was trying to get on the podcast for next year. He's now said he definitely wants to be on the podcast. We just need to get it booked in and recorded. So that's coming up next year. So a lot more, lots more on this sentiment piece from Cliff, who's the guy behind it all, um, coming up in the new year, hopefully in January. Now, Cliff's worked for many big brands. He really knows his stuff when it comes to emotion in retail. He helped Apple set up their stores and Nike likewise. He really knows his stuff. He's got a head start on the majority of us when it comes to understanding the impact of emotion on customers. Now, from his research, he's learnt that, and here we go, repeating something we heard from, um, from Lauren from Klarna, Rational feelings generate the interest in purchasing, but it's the emotional feelings that are the ultimate driver for making the buying decision. So there is a logic, a rational piece behind the decision to buy, but the decision to complete the purchase comes from those emotional feelings. And as retailers, we've got a lot more scope to impact the emotional decision than the rational decision. The rational decision comes from things such as my sofa really needs replacing. The dishwasher's broken. Um, I've got to buy a dress for that wedding. And then it's the emotional decision, the part that leads us to decide which sofa, which new dishwasher, which new dress, where am I going to buy it and so forth. Another great thing that Cliff talked about was that the emotional connection is the number one driver of loyalty. So if you get this emotional piece right, it's going to increase your repeat purchases, not just get that first sale. Your customers need to feel loved by you and appreciated. 91% of unhappy customers take action because of their unhappiness. They walk out the door 
real door or theoretical door online and they go and buy from somebody else. It's even harder with millennials as they expect the brands they buy from to be loyal to them, not to have to be loyal to those brands. They want you to make it easy. They want you to to look after them. Cliff then went on to explain the technology that Emrays have been building and are now deploying. It's an AI, artificial intelligence system, that tracks and identifies sentiment in online pages, so on the newspapers, on news sites and so forth. Why should we care about tracking and identifying sentiment in online pages? Well, if there's certain sentiments even that work for your brand, wouldn't it be great if you could put your ads next to articles and content that reflect that same sentiment and avoid the articles and content that has the wrong sentiments? So anything to do with with death, grieving, um, violence, you could stop your brand from appearing next to. Very, very cool technology, which Cliff is suggesting could potentially lead to news only being positive. However, currently that technology is out of the price range of the majority of us right now. So how can you use this sentiment insight to help your business right now? Well, for me, I think it's about thinking about what are those right sentiments for your business? What do you want people to be feeling, to be feeling in their emotions as they're making a decision to buy from you? If you can work that out and you can then work that into your marketing activity and your website, then you'll surely going to have a greater chance of converting them. So if you want to go for the the big picture emotion piece, not just those nudges, then this would be, I think, a good place to start. Work out what emotion, what sentiment you want people to be feeling when they come to your website. Okay, so that's my updates. I hope the audio has been okay. Um, You can find the script for this show if the audio wasn't okay, together with my typos, links, photos, etc. at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash one, two, three, dash five. If you want to get stuck into some more conference style content in the meantime, then my e-commerce masterplan virtual summit remains open to registrations. It is free and you'll have access until at least September 2018. You can find it at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash summit. There's over 27 sessions in there covering a wide variety of e-commerce topics, and I'm hearing good things from those who are working through them and using them already. There's no takeaways episode for you next week as I'm office bound getting the last bits and pieces in place for my new book being published. It's all about B2B e-commerce. It will be out later this month and you can find out more about it at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash B2B. Have a great week, all of you, and keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.